Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You are really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that. It is a big deal. You're, you're scared to even leave your living room. <laughs> it's a. It seem what seems like a big deal moving isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3 or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we going to use? But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans. Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to west of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastion and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow, even in Orleans, I just can't get over that. Yeah, once you hit 10th line, 11th line, 14th line, he's still coming. He's driving in his brand new Dodge Caravan, carries his family around in, will sell your home. That's what I'm looking for, an easy ride with Bastion and Ferguson. Look them up, he's gonna sell you quick and easy. Chenard, over Halloween, the season of Halloween, do you like pumpkin spice flavored things? And if so, have you tried pumpkin spice Cheerios? I find pumpkin spice a little sweet, so I don't eat have a lot of pumpkin spice flavor, and so I've never tried pumpkin spice Cheerios. Wow. Good. We're on the same page. I find that flavor is just offside. You know what? It's offside. How about that? How does that go? I like for it. Steve O'Kane. If I put you tonight in a pair of speed skates, can you do one rink of the lap without falling? I can, but like the person staring back at me here is like looking at me like, come on, like maybe I could do it, but she's intimidating. Like I can never match Caroline. I think I said one rink of the lap. Yeah, you did. It was really awkward. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. I just, you know what? That's that's why I'm I am where I am. Jay, <laughs> if you were at a cottage with your family, your family's like, "Oh, I want to rent a boat, Dad." So you go in there, rent a boat, throw you the keys. Can you start that boat and go for a for a day? It would take me a while, but I think I could do it. <laughs> I think so. But I think I would do it, and also my son Luca, he's a fixer, so he'd help me. All right, that's true. Done. Carol Ann Chenard, recently retired. She's a Canadian referee. 
who has reached the absolute pinnacle of refereeing in a 15-year career. Since her first professional appointment in 2005, she's officiated at a long list of major international tournaments, including 2011 and 2015 Women's World Cup, uh, 2012 and 2016 Olympics, where she refereed the in Rio, the gold medal game, right? Mm-hmm. Gold medal wow. game. Also, I think the Olympics before that, you ref the Britain and Brazil match uh, with over 70,000 people in the stands. She's also been a part of crews that have done games in NASL, USL, MLS, most recently the CPL. I can go, I'll go on forever here, uh, but let's welcome to her show and uh, let her talk about it. So thank you for coming. I'm um, going to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Paul McCallum, for hooking this up. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Can I, I just... Can I just say, Mark, I'll, I was reading her list of games and where she's been. I, no offense, I almost got bored. I couldn't keep reading. It was so long. It was on Wikipedia, and then I went in another one. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't think I have the mental capacity to, like, regurgitate any of this. This is impressive. It's, it, that's when you know somebody's been somewhere is halfway through. You're like, okay, well, I won, like, a spelling bee in grade two. Like, you're starting to give yourself accolades so you don't feel bad. But – I want to hear from Carol Ann the early story. I, I, I've read it, and I, I don't know if many people know, but how did you get into refereeing? Yeah, well, since this is a local local, you know, podcast, too, you guys know. So I was playing soccer with the Gloucester Hornets back then, yes. and, uh, and my coach worked for the, the, the association and basically said to the team, everyone's going to take a refereeing course so that we better understand the laws so that, you know, we we're not questioning things we should understand. So we took the whole team took the, the refereeing course on a weekend. So I was about 14 at the time. And, um, those of us who passed, I don't, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure there were people who didn't pass. So those of us who passed the, our, my coach also, as I said, worked for the association and said, like, if you guys want to start refereeing, like, I'll appoint you to games. So I started doing what I call now swarm soccer. So, you know, under six, under seven soccer. And I was using it, one, as a way to, you know, I think, I, honestly, I was making like $7 a game. It wasn't, <laughs> I was, you know, I was too young pretty much to have a, a real job. I was putting the money that I made refereeing aside um, for university. So I made a separate bank account, put the refereeing money wow. in there. Um, and, you know, as we, as I got older and as I had more experience, I got to start doing house league and that kind of stuff. And yeah. I was um, refereeing a game, old timers, men's soccer on oh. a Friday night, you know, the, 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 the Friday wow. night soccer that no referee wants to. Yeah. To the pin. The pinnacle of soccer, the pinnacle. Exactly. And the reason I say that is because it was like everyone used to play professional soccer somewhere in the world. They'd all been playing soccer longer than I've been alive. They were best friends. You know, that's my best friend. I'm not really trying to, you know, take him out yet. They're fighting in the corner and they're, you know, so it was always really difficult as a young referee to do that. But it was a Friday night that some team decided to write a letter to um, the Ontario Soccer Association. And the letter basically said, um, like, I think this girl's got some talent. Somebody needs to come out and watch her. Like, she's really good. And, you know, wow. so this, what a, like a great example of kind of a small token, you know, that was, they wrote into, it was like a, a, a newsletter, like a paper newsletter. And that was kind of the first time that I think somebody at the provincial level heard of me. They started sending kind of people out, you know, every once in a while to watch, you know, assessors, we call them, the people who um, evaluate referees. And 
I started getting more and more opportunities in the Ottawa area as games, bigger games came in because I was one of few of, of the few women who were refereeing at the time. So I started getting more and more opportunities. And um, so I kind of say like, that's how it all started. The rest is history. It was from there that I moved on and, you know, I always joke, you know, the day that I could say no to that Friday night old timers game was like a really like proud moment. But when I think back, it was, it was, and I don't know which team it was and I don't, but it really is, was a really important moment in my career. Yeah, that that's, is amazing. That's amazing. That is too bad that uh, you couldn't find that person. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly. like a, like a, you know, a misconnections ad on like Craigslist <laughs> or something. You know, that's, a, that's amazing. So I want to bring back one thing right away. I can tell, speaking of you when you were 14, putting that money aside, you can tell right, right away your mentality is different than most people. Why? I mean, me, I would drive to Becker's on my bike and buy like 17 Bazooka Joes. That's what I do is $7 or <laughs> 14. But that's why you're, you're at that different level. So at the same time, you're 14, 15, you're starting to progress. Were you doing this at the same time as the speed skating? Like you were uh, on the national team, correct? Speed skating? Yeah, so I, I, I was speed skating at the time. I had, I basically, I always say like sport was kind of like my one, for, I was really, I was my forte, I guess, my one talent I had. So I was, um, at, I guess when I was 14, you know, I would have been provincial level competing at national level competitions. But wow. um, yeah, I was basically on, you know, on the development team for short track speed skating. And what I would do is when I came home during the summer, I, it was a great way to kind of train, right? I would get lots of running in and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it, it also provided me a bit of flexibility, right? I could choose the nights I had training some nights, I could choose the nights I wanted to referee. So um, I was doing it at the same time. And I continued to do it even um, when I was on the national team. So I, I, I did eventually in university make the national team and, and I would come home and I would referee um, as well when in, in the summer. Okay, so with, with the speed skating, could Steve put on a pair of speed skates and is or is, or is it that hard? Could he do a lap? Short, yeah, I think he could. So short track with the blades that are fixed, yeah, you know, because the the long track blades they clap, which yeah. are makes it, even I think like when I skated long track they didn't clap. So even if I tried to put on clap skates, I feel like I'd have trouble. But I think you would actually find that you could, but it would be a big difference between the skates that you have because the blades are so much more narrow. Okay. And they are flat, so they don't have the concave nature of a hockey yeah. skate. So the edges are very different. So you would find yourself kind of falling off, I think, the edges. But you'd eventually make it around, I have no doubt. Yeah. Short I, track I, speed. Nerdy, don't go, Jake. This is a nerdy thing, but I was in, sorry. I was in Korea and uh, skating. I just went skating, and everyone did shorts. They, they had those long skates. No one had normal skates except for me. I don't know. I got them from like another Canadian guy and everyone had the long skates. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Korea is one of the, I mean, you know, other than Canada is kind of like the Mecca. It's basically like a national sport there. They have, really? um, you know, world champions, Olympic champions <clears throat> from there. So that doesn't surprise me. That's where my first ever kind of international speed skating competition was, was in South Korea. Really? Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Steve, can we I, run the jump? same wave, so I'm gonna let you say about short track being like just chaos. All I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like we're not at the would you rather's. That's usually at the end, but like Jay, I'm like would you rather short track speed skate or ref an old timers game? Like that's to <laughs> me, they're both as mental. I don't know how you did it either. Yeah, yeah well, I, you know, even now I think back, I'm like, ooh, how did I do that? Right? Like it's <laughs> now that I'm a you know too many years to say removed from my retirement from skating, like almost 18 years now wow. retired. And, um, 
yeah, sometimes I think, ooh, how did I stay so low so long and go so fast? Yeah. So I, I want to jump in here. Mark, if I just steal this question from you, I'll be so happy because I love your questions, especially lately. Um, <laughs> you're talking about like, um, you know, 14 and stuff and that you, you showed an interest and it's kind of like those guys kind of picked you out. I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade. I love uh, teaching and, and coaching. And I always argue on this show uh, where people will probably hate me for or love me for. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think I like te- with teaching, you can't build a good teacher. You either are a good teacher or you're not. You can, you can tend to it. You know, you can, you can gr- help foster it if you have that base. Do you think the same thing is, that's the same thing for refereeing? Like, do you think you're born with those characteristics Hmm. you have that foundation and you can you can tend to it if you see it like someone saw something you and you 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 grew it but do you think anyone can just be a referee just off the street if they just learn no no I don't think so but I also think that there are some skill it you like I never thought I would be a referee like if you asked me back then even when I was refereeing and you said to me hey Caroline do you want to be a FIFA referee I always tell the story I would have nodded yes because you know I know everyone thought that that was what I should do but I in my head I was thinking hell no right like who wants to be a referee first of all and I pictured myself as an athlete yeah so I think that there are there are definitely skills that tend towards being better referees and sometimes we you discover those because you're a player who gets injured or you know and understanding the game is a really key component to that so there you know there are players who you know may at the end of their career like you know they're trying we're trying to find referees and so we want them to try and so there are skills and there are things that you can learn, right? If I think of my very first international game and we asked the head of refereeing at the Canadian soccer association, Hey, did you think she was going to referee an Olympic final? He probably would have been like, no, <laughs> like there was some, there's some definite skills that you need to learn and you develop. And I say refereeing is a lot of experience, right? The first game you referee my, I can vividly remember my first professional game. And I also remember that the second game, even if it was a harder game, it was a thousand times easier because I had the experience. And so it's a lot about getting the experience. So there, you can absolutely learn a lot of skills, but some of it is like a little bit intuitive as well. What, what hooked you then? Like, cause I, I gather, you know, you kind of grew into it almost naturally or through being good, but what got you, you must, you must've loved it at some point to some degree or something may have changed I'm guessing like to put the time in you did sure so you know when I talk to young young people so they don't have to be I I speak to young athletes and I say you know sometimes your goals change right if you would ask me I would have said I'm going to the Olympics I'm going to go to the Olympics I'm going to be an athlete and um as things progressed things changed right I I decided to retire I, I made it you know to world cups and things for skating but decided to retire and And there was a little bit about that, like that transition from an athlete, from uh, what we call an official athlete. I still believe referees are athletes. They run more than the players do um, and train just the same. But um, I was looking for something, right? I was looking for that like game day kind of feeling. And the other thing is there is a little bit of that carrot, right? I got more and more experience. People started saying like, wow, she's real. You know, like I got that you're good. I got the validation. I was challenged, right? It, you can watch a thousand soccer clips, which, you know, I have done. And it, one, you'll never see the same incident again, right? You take kind of little bits of considerations from each of those tackles and each of those things you see, but you'll never see it again. 
So the, the constant change, the constant learning, and then just me being able to kind of achieve the pinnacle that every athlete wants to do. It's the same for referees. We want to go to the world cup. We want to be on the field. So for me as an athlete, it was just something I was looking for and I got it in, in, um, it had all the aspects, the, the physical training aspects that I love, the, the mental training that I love, the, the decision-making, the changes, the challenge, it was all there in refereeing. So it took me a little bit of time to, to get there. It's hard. It's hard when you're a young um, official, particularly local sure. soccer. It, it's hard, but you know, it's, it, uh, some of the, the end end results were pretty great. Yeah. So uh, speaking of that local flavor, local uh, refereeing. So what happens next into, cause we're all kind of always in the player mentality. So we get seen as a player, uh, we go to the provincials and then we go to the national team or we go to whatever. What happens now? You're starting to do really well in Ottawa. You're getting big games in Ottawa. Um, what happens now? Like, How do you get to that next level? Is it through assessing? Is it through another letter? How, how do you get to that next level? Yeah. So there, there are kind of, you know, levels in refereeing. So it starts, you know, you're a, you're a regional referee, you're a district referee, regional, provincial. And so back in my day, it was like, you know, level three, two, one, you know, it was different, but yeah. you know, so you start refereeing locally and then there's, you know, you have to referee a certain number of games where you get a certain number of assessments and you have to pass your fitness test and maybe you jump up to a regional and then up to provincial. Once you're in the provincial system. So basically refereeing the top provincial level games that there are, then it becomes, um, there's like a, a process. So now what you would do is you would go to one of the national championships. So for the past few years, it had been like the under 18 championships and anyone who was going to be nominated to the national program would go there and it would, their, your top assessors would be there and the Canadian soccer association referees department. And that's where it was kind of like, you perform there. We do, you know, and then they select how many people can go into the national program. So the national program referees in the CPL, in you know any of the top professional kind of level games that there are in Canada and then okay. from there it's basically a nomination process to uh, CONCACAF which is our confederation um, and they do that through um, there's an under 15 tournament and all of the people who they're looking to nominate to the international list would go there now that didn't exist when I was coming through the system so what happened was I got to the provincial level I got nominated to the national level. They accepted my nomination based on my games and my CV and my performance. Yeah. And then from there I got nominated internationally, but basically, you know, it's, you know, heavily weighted towards your performance, right? Your consistent performance on the field, like doing well and understanding there is uh, what I call your passport. If you, you have to be able to pass the fitness test or you won't get the chance. So there's a fitness component that we have to do, which we pass multiple times a year. And then there's all of the stuff kind of off the field, right? Like they don't want terrible people to be referees. So you're a good person, a team player, you do video tests, you know, at FIFA, we do English tests and, you know, and laws of the game test, like all of that's a little bit of a, it's a bonus. If you're terrible at it, you're not going to get to the highest level. Mm -hmm. but perform it's really heavily weighted towards performance okay that's interesting because uh, is, was it like this back in in uh, when you were coming up too because i have a friend uh, i don't know if you know jason olinsky he's a uh, okay yeah he's a friend of mine uh, and um, he said it's sometimes so difficult that you have to almost beg assessors to come to your games to get 
that like is that is that hard does that make it difficult for people to get to the next level in being in ottawa or is it is it an ottawa thing or is it a what is it it can be an ottawa thing right because you it's just sheer numbers right there's obviously more assessors in toronto because it's a bigger city and and things like that so yeah it can be hard to be in ottawa and jason for example has to travel all the time to toronto to get kind of those high level gains so there is really kind of a uh, a little grouping or a time in your career where it's really hard, right? Where you're constantly traveling because you have to be available for all these games where you're trying to get assessments and they need to be at a certain level. So if you have a bad game, you got to get them to come out again, right? And, and do it again. And you're, you're, there's only finite number of assessors and, you know, a, a number of people looking for assessments. And then there is a sense, there is a little bit about like right place, right time, right? Mm-hmm. If there's, if I had come on, if, if, if my career had happened and there were five female FIFA referees, then I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity as quickly as I did, right? Because, because there's only so much space. We don't have unlimited number of spaces. We don't have unlimited number of games. So there is a little bit too about like the right time in the right place, um, which is unfortunate. But what I tell referees coming up, just control what you can Right? But like, I've watched you. I've watched you, ref, and you, you're you're good. I'm not trying to butter you up, and I have seen you in, in a game. I, I think it was the final, the women's final, uh, one of those finals. And I remember I watched you, and you're from Ottawa, so I was like, I was on you like a hawk. And <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, out of the three of us, like I give referees the most gears. You're gonna see in a second, but like I'm trying to learn about it, okay? Because, um, but did you? Because Mark name dropped. I want to name drop Joe Fletcher, mm-hmm. because Joe Fletcher when I played at Brock. He was a linesman at the time. He was so good because I was for some reason on the wing and these guys will laugh, but, and, and I would, I would moan and I would swear and I would be like, you know, he'd make a call and be like, what the Joe, come on, man. And he was good. He was so good that I, I remembered him more than anyone I played. Just, he stood out. And then next thing I see at the last world cup, he's there. He, he's he's, I think he was a fourth official or a linesman. Oh, he was an assistant. Yeah. Joe and I, came through like we basically did our like I remember my one of my first national tournaments we were together so yeah we we kind of grew up through the international group. he's a great guy he's a great guy off the pitch too and he took a lot of stick but he was always good always professional never swore back just and he just would say your name and it would it would diffuse you like Jason relax and I'd be like melted like butter in his arms and I'm like it was yeah, you said my name. You said my name, so we're like <laughs> friends now. So, but no, like you were good. I, I, I know what you're trying to say. It's a humble thing to say. We have a lot of professionals on here. They say that, but you have to be good. You have to be wanting. You're professional. Even the way you're talking about it now, you can tell that you have, uh, you know, your professionalism about it, and you care about it, and you respect it. I think that's what probably came through. I think it's fascinating to see the similarities. I like how you brought us on that you're an athlete and that that's what got you in. And then you just, again, maybe it's, maybe it's just me finally dawning into this stuff, but to see the similarities, like the training, the different levels, being a bit lucky, just like any pro athlete. Um, And what you're talking about there and what Jay's talking about is man management. And I mean, that's what separates a good coach from a bad coach in my mind. I mean, you can have some of the stuff, like you said, the, you could run a great session in this and that, but man management. And I think what Jay's just picked out and, and I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest. I didn't follow you like crazy your career, but the man management piece is what stands out. Like, I don't know if I've just ruined it or not really asked a question, but could you speak to that man management in a game as a ref, like, or the focus may be given to you from the FIFAs and that for the, those kinds of things. So 
So man management is like the, it, you know, there's, there's 22 players on the field and there's 22 personalities. And then you have all of the coaches and the other people that are off the field. So man management and using your personality is, I mean, if, is probably, it's like the, the cherry on top of the cake, right? It's what makes those, the, the referees, the game's easier sometimes too, right? So if yeah. you think of all the referees that, you know, you remember, it's usually those guys who you, you can feel their personality. They're not arrogant, they're yeah. humble, but they, but they, they, they have a line and you know what that line is. They're respectful, even when they're drawing that line and they're, you know, and, and um, you know, one of the most difficult things, and this is where the experience comes in a little bit, right, is using your, your own personality to manage players. And yeah. I've done things and said things to players that it just didn't, on one day it worked perfectly and it was like, oh, thank, you know, then this player was helping me and, was, and everything was smooth. And then I said exactly the same thing to a different player on a different day and it like blew up in my face. Hmm. So having kind of those, those tools in your toolbox, understanding that while I can watch other referees and say, Oh, that's, you know, that worked there and that worked there from a personality standpoint, I have to use my personality. I can't be anyone else. You know? So I say to people, like, if you're not funny, don't try and be funny in a yeah. big situation. Cause it's going to backfire. Right? Like, so like so backfire. Yeah. I remember my first one of my first big games in when I lived in Montreal at a, at a national championship in Quebec, I wanted, I was, trying to like draw the line, speaking to John Limniatis, he was still playing. So I don't know, you know, he's big oh, personality. Yeah. Yeah. And I started speaking in French, which I'm very, very bilingual. And it just like totally came out totally wrong and not a pro like it just, and I kind of was like, Bleh, and I like lost <laughs> all of its effect. And that day oh, I said no. like, if I'm really going to draw the line. I'm going to speak in English and they're going to see it in my face. But that's what I mean. It doesn't matter if they don't understand me. Right. Yeah. But the man management is really, really, you know, important, you know, as a referee in big games, you know, you find those players that's, that are going to help you uh -huh. You find the ones that like, don't want to talk to you. And you don't like that. You know, if you try and talk to them, they're putting up a wall. Yeah. Um, you know, some personalities are easier like to manage on, like if I do men's games, sometimes my, Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. We're that's, no. we're just flagging each other for the next okay, question. Perfect. All I, all I was going to say is, um, is it weighted in like your scoring, like with FIFA and, and these levels? Like, do they weight it or is it just like you said, the cherry on top that separates? No, absolutely. I think you're per using, using your personality to manage a game is uh, it's absolutely a part of like, there's a man management, like managing the game. Like there is a big component of, of game management. And that, that means a lot of different things and it changes a little bit yeah. in every game. Like, are you managing the difficult situations or is there, you know, in some games, there's not a, like players who just do what you say sometimes. Right. And some games they don't. Right. And so that, that, that's weighted differently as well. Right. If you're getting challenged all the time and it's just like all the time and how you manage that and how you deal with it, with your personality and FIFA is very clear, like they don't want robots. They don't want people who go out and signal and have no interaction they want you to use your personality to understand the game. So when do you need, can you use your personality? To yeah. maybe, you know, like, is this a yellow card that's a mandatory that I have to give? Can I manage my way out of this one? Like, is there a little wiggle room where maybe I can manage? And sometimes I can manage and I choose to give it because I need to for my match control. Sometimes mm -hmm. I can manage and say, okay, like, I'm going to not give it this time, but I'm watching you next time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to ask a question that everyone who's listening wants me to ask. Oh my 100%. God. 
Okay. And this is something like if I, at the top, top level, okay. Forgive me if it comes out all, but I think you're going to know what I'm going to get at. Like if I'm swearing, cause I missed a shot or I swear at Steve cause he's, he didn't pass to me or we're, we're, we're a transition moment. He didn't play it or whatever. And I swear that shouldn't bother you. I mean, I'm not swearing at you, but it's like at the top level, I've seen, you see it, right? And I've been to games. You see them swearing just in front of the ref. We're saying ref for F's sakes, come on, you know, talk to me about that. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but talk to me about that. What, what, what's so, your, this is a little bit about like managing and uh, managing the game. Right. So for sure at the local level, like we've been there, even sometimes at the semi-professional level, right. Where you having players, you know, if the league's trying to create like a, a family league and we have players that are losing it out loud, you know, there might be a directive, like it does say foul and abusive language. Towards now, the referee, towards the referee. No, no, or just... the, the, the wording in the law is just foul and abusive language. Now, how would I, like, how do we manage it at the highest level? No, like, listen, I, I, when I refereed Falcons and when I refereed, like it would, it happens. So typically if it's obviously if it's directed towards somebody and it's like way out there and everyone can hear it, like as a referee, I have to deal with it. Right. So like have a chat, like have a chat. Yeah, a it chat. could be, it could be a chat. Like it depends if it's really abusive right off the bat. I don't have to have a chat with you. Like if it's directed towards somebody now, my, the way I man, I manage players, and listen, this is going to vary based on how the game course, is in the situation, right? So even the, the concept of dissent, which is arguing against the referee's decision, like if you're running beside me and you're like, Carolyn, that was really crappy. Like you are having a sh- crappy game yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I might just say, well, thanks, Jason, but like you couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, right? Like I just saw that last shot. Like, thanks. I have no idea, Jason. I've never seen you shoot, but you know what I mean. Like, hang on, actually. Hang on. <laughs> like we might be having a little bit of banter in a respectful okay. and playful way. Right now, very different if I'm like running backwards trying to take a position for the next phase of play and you're running after me and throwing your arms up or throwing the ball away. So what I say is like. You know, we like to set it, and I'm going to use the term set players up, meaning like it's not a surprise when you get a red card or you're going to get a card for this, like that everyone is expecting it. Like, hey, Caroline warned him once, right? So I might talk to you quietly one time and then you keep doing it. So then I'm going to use the like, you know, the referee, like the no more, the big yeah. like, hey, everybody, see Jason, I'm telling him no more. Yeah. And then the next time you do it, when I give you the card, everyone's like, well, for the love of God, Jason, she told you twice, right? Like, Can so- you stop using my name like that? It <laughs> it's so effective, eh? Mark and I are so on our I'm side. Like, I'm scared. I'm like, I'm just oh, playing the best. game. I'm yeah. dying for you to pull out a carding book, Jay. Like, I'm just so good. It's but you know, so, so I think real. it depends. Like, there, there are times that, and there are, all, there are also, like, there are some words yeah, yeah i don't yeah. care if you're directing it towards me or to like the 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 yeah. sky there are some there there are a few words that there's a line that you know that i think is it's disrespectful regardless of whether you're looking at me but you may or yeah. not looking at me that that sometimes we have to draw now you have to understand too that as you come up through the system as referees are developing just like players you need to get them to understand you know you know when yeah, and one, one when, two, the other, like, if you think of fouls, like, the very first thing we teach people, like, is that a foul or not? 
Like you don't teach them advantage because if they can't tell what a foul is, yeah, right? You're like right. You, there's a stepwise approach and it, there's development throughout. And sometimes there's directive. I've done semi-professional games and I, I can't, I can't remember if it was the CSL or one of the leagues where they actually like, it was a directive from the league that they wanted foul language that could be heard in the stands, even if it wasn't directed to someone to result in a caution, at least because they were finding they couldn't bring, like they wanted families there and people were complaining. That's a good point though, because then that's a directive from your boss. So then the, if we're yelling at you in that respect, we're, we're shooting the messenger, right? Like that's, you're just following their directive. So that's, that's yeah. a good point. I, I, yeah. I'll be honest. I've never thought of that way. I would think one of the examples Jay's probably getting at in man management wise would be like, especially if I'm at a world cup, you'll probably look at me like I have six heads for this example, but you miss an empty net in the six yard box. It's one, one. And you say, shit, like, if a ref books you there, like that's, I think that's like an extreme Jay's probably getting at, you know? And I think, you know, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, I would probably, first of all, in a stadium, I likely won't hear it and neither will most people. And even at that time, like I'm, there has been times that, you know, in games where people have like sworn after they've missed a shot and I've just been like, eh, can you like, just like bring it down a notch? Like, don't yell it quite so loud. Like, I know you're not directing it at me, but don't. And that's mostly in local soccer, like not, yeah. At, yeah. The, at the professional level, I think, you know, we say, you know, you want the cards to mean something and yeah. you want them to be effective. And, um, but there are certain times we have to give them it's whether they're effective or not, there are certain scenarios, but yeah, yes. it, that's part of man management. I think what is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of the complaining, like I know there's, there's a, you know, there's a culture in soccer that complaining and yelling at the referee is almost an acceptable norm um that's my opinion I, that's what i see and is there any talk in the soccer associations or or anywhere within referees of like adopting a rugby type approach where i mean you're not even allowed to approach a rugby referee let alone swear and say you're, you're about that. is there <laughs> why is there why is it acceptable in soccer to to have 16 players surround chelsea players surrounding a referee and that guy, i just don't i don't get it why no. is that acceptable so I don't think it is. And I think the problem is, is like you said, it's a little bit ingrained, right? It'd be, it's this ingrained culture. People are doing it. I know for sure um, in, in the top leagues, there's, you know, there's, they're trying to do these directives of if they're, if, if people surround the referee that there's, if the referee doesn't necessarily take action there, that there's consequences after the fact, right? So in the premiership, they have looked at some things like that. Like if people are surrounding the referees for sure in, um, professional soccer so in the MLS like if somebody comes up to the referee at halftime or at, after the game whether it's a coach or a player after the game to complain like there's if they don't get a card because they didn't maybe they didn't you know come at them very that there can be repercussions they are not allowed to approach the referee this is something that we have to figure out how to change mm -hmm. because it if like when I was talking about refereeing local soccer this is why we lose referees and it's not only why we lose referees but coaches and mentors and people that are surrounding the game because these are young people dealing with adults adult coaches adult parents yeah and um and people are seeing it on tv so they think it's okay so we need to figure out how to solve the problem i don't know that we have there's all these directives everywhere um, but it, it doesn't seem to be working. I, I think if I can, uh, first of all, at young ages, I'm trying to, I would love to get rid of referees up until like you 
10 maybe like there's no need for a ref at u7 or a zero um because the game doesn't matter at all and so it's a waste of resources and why is the ref getting paid over a coach that that always bothered me so that's that's where you see my true colors a bit now but going forward with the refs like i think with that because i know we've been in national finals and we've been in massive games where a ref makes a decision it's if they screw up they're a human being but they need to, I think the best refs have reminded us that they're human. And the best one I've had in Ottawa was um, Dave Smith. And he, I remember him telling me, Jason, I missed it. I'm sorry. I didn't see it that way. I'm sorry. It diffused me. Guys on my team, if I yelled at him after that, I'm done. I'm probably getting kicked off the, the, the pitch because now he's diffused it. He's, he's admitted that maybe he didn't see it the way that we saw it. And I'm totally on his side forever and ever, forever and ever, and, and ever think, and ever. And it's, it's a little bit about, um, you know, I agree. It's about a, a little bit about showing your human nature, like that you're human, that you don't have, you're not just this angry yeah. person who's going yes. to be, and yeah. listen, you can, I've, I've said it. Listen, I was blocked. A player came in front of me. I didn't have a good angle. I called what I saw, or I did usually it's because you didn't call something right. Yeah. yeah. Now, can you say that four times in a game? No. no right. Yeah. But yeah. if you're, if you are, I think if you're, um, and I, I'm not, the word's going to escape me right now, but I think, oh, if you're genuine, if you are genuine yeah. in the game, now there are times you have to make the decision and you got to like stick yeah. with the decision and you got to, even if you have a, a little bit of doubt, you got to look like you don't, didn't have any doubt because you called it in the moment, but you do need to be genuine. And I always like no referee goes out to make a mistake. And what is really important is that like, like when we speak about controversy, like for me as a referee, there's controversy doesn't exist. I was either right or I was wrong. Hmm. And if it was a big decision and it, it becomes controversial because of the time of the game or the, the score of the game or who it was or what happened, if I was right, then for me, it's not controversial. Like I don't speak about controversy. And I never want to make an incorrect decision that's going to impact the outcome of the game, right? Like, yes, can, I, I don't want to make any incorrect decision, but we all know that that's going to happen, right? In the middle of the pitch or something, but no referee goes out to make an incorrect decision. But sometimes our, like, our, our, also our human nature is to, to defend it to the death. And sometimes that, that, like, as a referee, if you want to be learn and continue to evolve, you have to be able to admit your mistakes. That doesn't mean telling every player that they no. I was wrong, but it means me growing after the game and looking at the situation. And it diffuses everyone. And it's a great answer. I want to add to that because this part, people, if you don't love my question right now, <laughs> and you, this, inject this question into my veins, a team up 10 nothing, and I know you wouldn't do this because you made it to the top level, up 10 nothing. How many times have I heard a referee say, you're up 10 nothing or 5 nothing, let's say, 4 nothing? And this is men's premier or even like youth, like high level youth, or you're up six, nothing. Stop asking for a call. What? I want to win a hundred, nothing, actually a hundred and one, nothing. I, I, I want to beat a team so badly. They never, like if I'm playing in the game, my, personally, not if I'm coaching you 10, if I'm coaching you 10 is a different story. But if, if I'm playing in the game, I want to win a hundred million, nothing. And I want the team to never play soccer again. That's how much I want to beat them. <laughs> and the referee tells me, no, you're winning. Stop asking for a penalty. It's a penalty. It, the, the rules don't change. It doesn't matter on the score. 
what kind of referee is that? Like, the, do you have like a referee clique where you make no, fun so of them? No, so I don't like, think it's, I mean, I think, I don't think it's necessarily like the referee. So there's, there's two things. Is it, are you complaining and whining or was it really a penalty? Like that might be also like, there's, there's a little sense, like if you're complaining and being a whiner, <laughs> then yeah. maybe it's a little Well, bit I am, I am because I want the penalty. Right. Want, but, you're right. You're right. I, I want agree. The as a referee. I mean, part of the reason, if you think about the reason that the law changed around um, players that are injured, right? So there's a, there, there was a new law change this year that we could stop play immediately and give, and it was a drop ball to the team that had possession of the ball, right? Not a drop ball between two players. And the reason that was partially done was because of the whole scenarios around these drop balls where one team would say like I'm kicking it back and then attack or and the referee couldn't do anything right like all we could do was drop it between the two players and then if a team chooses to you know not kind of follow the fair play principle and continues to attack there's really by the laws there was nothing referees could do. So in order, you know, and there was a game I remember many years ago that had to be replayed because a team actually, you know, they, they really like FIFA took the position that this was against the fair play principles and they had the game replayed because a team scored and like progressed through a, a qualifying stage. And so, so we have to be like, as referees, we have to kind of, you know, there you can, bend the laws a little bit right there's there are there are concepts behind the laws like not everything is written in their black and white but there are also things that we have to continue doing and and that might not be if it's if it's 10 nothing that might not be giving you the um easy penalty that you might have got at the beginning or you know or something that's a but it's still we have to uphold the laws and um like that's our that's our number our number one job is protecting player safety and the second is the laws of the game. Is it a Canadian thing? It's a lovable losers. Like we we always go for the underdog, and that's a, that's another thing. And like, I find that with Canadian referees, because I don't have any experience internationally, to be honest. So, but like, they go for. Actually, I have had experience coaching in South America, where the referees were were lethal. Like in Venezuela, where they doesn't matter like they didn't there was no lovable losers and it rocked my world but in canada it's like the losing team oh gets the edge all the time it's it but it's human nature i don't blame them but I'm, i get mad at them and it's like i do it too when i watch a movie i want the underdog to win it's a canadian thing we always want the underdog it's, that's the playoffs like that's why stanley cup playoffs like are amazing because the underdog gets to come back and win i i don't do you think that's a canadian thing have you noticed that between canadian referees is there a difference between canadian and other no nope. uh, i i at the top level no uh refer okay. listen uh, if it, a decision like that would impact my ability to progress through a tournament so i mean there's no referee at the top level that's looking to one to favor one team over another no i don't mean i don't mean even like consciously doing i mean subconscious like it's it's you know, you, you see a team grafting and you like them but just because they're nice to you at halftime, but like it, subtle things. Is it, does it come into play? I don't think so. I think like, listen, is it, if, if you've given 50 fouls, you know, against a team and then there's one foul that's like maybe a teeny little bit soft in the middle of the pitch, do you maybe give it to that team that's just been fouled, you know, that has just fouled the other team 50 times? Maybe that's a subconscious thing, but is it, I don't, but, but again, it's, it is a foul. 
you know, it's not like you're making stuff right. up. I think that, you know, yeah, does that happen? Yes. I think it happens in all sports, whether you're a player or not, right. Or player, referee, whatever. Right. But right. Um, I would say that, you know, that's not a referee's intent at all. Okay. I got to, so, I got to jump in. I got a, I got a question. I want to know. So it's about me now. Okay. Forget <laughs> Carolyn, just retired. doesn't matter. I have a question. Okay. It's back to me. What I, I'm dying to know, actually, we talked to Rob Gale uh, on our last show and he, he gave us a really good example of uh, referee training. Um, I'm interested in the actual physical testing, all that, the, that you go through. And I'm only going to assume back to the similarities that you were saying with players, like when you go from old timers and running around after me, you're obviously at a different training level when you go to a world cup. Like, can you speak to those levels? And the idea that Rob gave us, just to like, give you a two-part question, I don't know why everything I ask lately is in two parts, um, but I thought it was genius, and I, maybe it's the first time I just uh, was aware of it. He said that they would have, I forget the name of the guy who was the head of Manitoba, but he used to be a referee. Sorry? That's it. That's right. And he said that the referees trained alongside the clubs and the players in tandem so they were used to each other or they could bring them in for small sided games so the refs benefit they benefit i thought that was genius so simple um so just maybe that and then i'm i'm really fascinated to know like your training regime going into world cups and stuff that that, that fascinates me sure so i think you can imagine you know uh, on a on a at a professional level a referee runs anywhere between 10 and 14 kilometers a game at, wow. at the highest level um, and so, and a lot of it is, so there's a lot of cardio, obviously like long cardiovascular, but it's also a lot of start, stop and sprint and start and sprint and, and change direction and all yeah. of that. Kind of thing. Yeah. So at the international level, how it works for, at least on the women's side on the program is we, I basically wear a heart rate monitor huh. every single day. My heart rate data is uploaded to a program that FIFA sees my, the fitness trainers at FIFA see. And what they're looking for, so what we do is if we look at a week where you maybe you're refereeing on a Saturday, the game's on Saturday, let's say, it would be um, Monday would be what we call high intensity sessions. So, you know, like 100 meter intervals or 200 meter intervals, you know, over and over. Then we would go to um, uh, maybe some speed or some agility work on Tuesday, Wednesday would be off Thursday. We would do speed endurance, which is like a longer, harder kind of workout. Friday would be what we call match preparation. So just some like short, fast sprints to get your body ready, referee the game on Saturday, Sunday, take the day off, maybe get a massage, do some <clears throat> like ice baths or something, and then restart. And we're tracked and they, they, they come back and they, you know, they follow up. Are you doing enough? Um, and they provide, we, we have fitness trainers at FIFA that provide us training. Now, of course, um, there are referees who are stronger at some things than others. And, you know, so for me, you know, I was a a very good distance, like a much longer distance runner. Um, so the older I got, the more I needed to focus on like maintaining my speed, my sprint. So I started working. So here I found a group with the Ottawa lions that does like speed and power. And I've been doing that. So Jason, I, I eventually recruited a few young guys who were coming out and training with me on the weekends. Who I was saying like, Hey, do you guys want to come train? Cause they wanted to see the type of training that I did because what they were doing was going out and jogging for 40 minutes instead of because they're young and it's easier to train know. when you're young, but try to get them doing that. And then how it works for fitness testing is so 
there, there's basically two types of fitness testing we do. We, the first is um, we do short sprints. So as a referee, I would do 40 meter sprints. I do six 40 meter sprints. There's a time that I have to pass. There's, you know, gates and everything. Sprint, 60 seconds to jog back, do the sprint again. So it's like a repeated sprint test. I get eight minutes break and then I run 40 one, uh, 75 meter intervals. So I run 75 meters. I walk 25 meters. I run 75 meters. And there's a, there's a, um, a beep kind of playing oh, on the like beep that test. We all have to follow and you have to pass the line before. I just got anxiety. Those are like the gym class beep tests. Like I got so beep. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So they do that. And then it's not only about passing. Then they look at like, so yes, you have to pass. Then they're going to look and say like, how is your, like, let's look, is she dying the whole time? And if she's dying, then we need to like do some work on her fitness. Maybe I have a really great recovery. And then the other type of test we do is a little bit more um, kind of the same as on the, so it's, it's like the beep, the back and forth beep test. Yeah. But instead of going back and forth, we go in like this weird star all around the soccer pitch. So sometimes it's a straight run. So usually the straight runs are across the penalty area, like on the top of the penalty area. Sometimes it's a 45 meter cut. Sometimes it's 90 meters because that's just what we do on the pitch. And we have to reach. Um, so for the women, we have to reach like 18.4, which is pretty high um, to pass for the, the fitness test. So it's really and you know, in Canada it might be winter, but I might have to go somewhere. So it's all year round, right? We have to yeah. be able to find that all year round. Wow. Do you do a lot of, uh, this is just a popped in my head, but I'm like, do you do any of these sprints backwards? Because referees are always running backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So we do. So at the yeah. track, we definitely do. Now I try to honestly, as a referee, we, tr the, we should try and avoid as much as we can running backwards because yeah. the only, only bad things happen when you run backwards, you either hit <laughs> someone or you fall yeah. on your butt, right? Yeah. You catch a heel and fall on your butt, but, the, but yeah. we have to be able to move and to change direction. Yeah. I think, you know, part of the reason I, you know, knock on wood, well, I mean, it doesn't matter now because I'm retired, but, um, <laughs> yeah. um, was like making sure like that you're fit and able to change direction. So you don't get hurt as yeah. just like players often yeah. players knees and all that. It's because they don't have the right balance of strength. So, um, yeah, so it's about reaching out, finding people to train with getting the stuff you need, but we also yeah. get followed quite closely. I'm going to go one step further on that question. When you're like, that's the physical training for a competition. Now, do you like kind of, you know, game analysis, that kind of thing with coaches, do you study players or teams before you get to a tournament to be like, this guy's known for this, or he does this or she does that, or she's dirty. Like, do you study video before you go to a tournament? Sure. So, I mean, at the international level, a lot easier, right? Because most of the time teams have yeah. qualified and there's, there's access to video. So part of the training is understanding the team tactics. You have to remember that in order to make the right decision on the field, you have to be in the right position. Yeah. So a team that plays the long ball from the back and goes like, you know, doesn't play over in the midfield and it goes like from their goalkeeper or their defender all the way to this super tall, fast girl in the front. I need to know that because I need yeah. to anticipate versus a team that that's playing and there's a buildup and it's slow and I can move. Um, does a team play in the, in the middle of the pitch? Cause like I need to get through there somehow. So I need to understand that. Wow. Um, so this, yes, this, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. This is fascinating to me. Like the, that there's a world beyond 
Like, because we all, you know, none of us think like that, that are players. Like, they have, you guys have to think and train so, like, it's, sorry, I'm interrupting, but it's like. No, not at all. Blowing like, my mind how fascinating this is. It's, I mean, it's, you think about the, the amount of, of, of field we have to cover. So it helps us. Yeah. Now, the other thing is, is like, I need to understand players' tendencies. But for me, I never go in, like, with a preconceived notion. Like, if I know that, now I'll pick on Steven now. So if I know that Steven plays and he's taller than everybody and when he goes and he's a, def a central defender and he jumps up and he often he's, his elbows are up. Right. And I need to be careful around that. And so what I, what that says to me, I need to try and get in the right angle. So I in the drop zone, so I can see that that doesn't mean that the first time Jason uh, Steven jumps up that I'm whistling right away. Like I go in with the, for me, I go mm -hmm. in, being as informed as I can, but also not too informed. Yeah. And I let what I what I say is that if the if the players want to play, great. If I don't have to be involved, great. But if I do need to, it's not a surprise to me, mm -hmm. right? Oh. And I, and the other thing is, is, I can just make sure I try at least as much as possible that I'm in the right position to make the best decision yeah. that I can. So so bridging even further now that we've we've done video analysis, we've done training. Now the tournament starts. Is the referee world cutthroat? Like, are you, you're all competing to get to that final, right? Like you all want that final. So if I'm a keeper, backup keeper, I want my team to win, but I want the keeper to play like shit. Like, are you like, <laughs> are you like, come on, the, you know, Stephanie trip, you know, you know, like, are you hoping they have bad games? So you get the final, like, but I, I understand that that's going a step further, but like, is it cutthroat? Like you guys are, you know, you're competing for that your world cup final is getting to the world cup final. So I think the answer is no. So we are absolutely the kind of other team. We train together. We wear, you know, we wear the same clothes every day. You know, we go down to breakfast in blue and we have the track suit and we go to the field every day and we train together and eat together and watch, you know, do video analysis in classroom together. Um, the one thing that's maybe different is it's, are you know the only people that understand what it feels like to be in a game as a referee and either make the right decision or more importantly the wrong decision are other referees so there is not one referee that is hoping that their colleague makes a bad decision because it's a really particularly when you get to the world cup yeah, it is yeah. it, it can be career ending right it can wow. it can absolutely be career ending so the support is really there. And what I say is, you know, there's a lot of things that come into appointing a referee for a final and it's not only performance, right? If Canada goes through, I'm going like, I can't referee. So Canada goes through to a semifinal. Often that means I'm, I'm almost, it can mean that I'm done because depending on what happens, the, the, the confederation that we, you know, with, with, we were slowly moving towards, being able to referee teams from your own confederation at, at world cups. But before it was, I couldn't referee the U S well, the U S won like the last, you know, the, the mm -hmm. world cup, right. The last two world oh, cups. So like, right. so there's, there's some small things that have to happen. Like we talked about luck. There's things mm -hmm. that have to happen. So at the Olympics, for example, you know, the U S lost. So that was uh, an, like an important part for me being able to go through and a really kind of interesting thing happened at the Olympics. So I refereed the quarterfinal, which was Brazil, Australia. Mm -hmm. And before, just before we were marching out for that game, we find out that Canada has won their quarterfinal and is going through to the semifinal. 
So to me, that says, okay, like we're going home tomorrow. But I looked at my, at my trio and I said, we're going to go out and we are going to like knock this game out of the park so that tomorrow when we get sent home, it's because it's not because of our performance. It's just, it just happens. It's just how it happens for referees, right? Right. You want your team to go through, but it also means probably the end of your tournament. We went out and we had a first half was a little bit up and down because the styles were very different. So I struggled a little bit to find the right consistency between the two styles, but the second half and the extra time were in my opinion, the best soccer that I've refereed in my career walked off that pitch and when we, and they decided that like they, we were going to stay and it was because we had the best game of that whole tournament. So mm-hmm. we refereed ourselves to a p- place where maybe we could get the final because Canada was still in it. So like I needed like, and it wasn't, I didn't wish Canada to lose yeah. not <laughs> at all. You know, as a referee, another thing is, is like the better the soccer in your country, the better the referees are going to be. The yeah. more opportunities there are, the better referees are going to be. So you want your teams to do well. But when Canada lost, I mean, there was a little part of me that was like, okay, well, that gives us a chance. Yeah, of course. And, and so all we can do is I say, like, don't give them a reason not to give you another game, right? Because when you go to a tournament, one game, and then it's like based on your performance. So hmm. get the first game done. Don't give them a reason to give you another game. And if you go home, but you've done your job on the pitch, then that's all you can do. Yeah. Right. That's all we can do. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with uh, <clears throat> one more and then we'll do some, some rapid fire oh, questions. And okay. uh, I can't and wait. So- I, you're going to be good at them. I can't I wait. I, can already yeah, I know. I'm already, you know what? Yeah. Your terribleness might end up being amazing though. Like I could feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my quick question that I just, it's been plaguing me all day. You're at the <laughs> Olympics. Do you stay in the Olympic village or is there like a village for the judges and the referees? Like, is, is there like a separate village for, or are you, is there really? Yeah. So the, well, so it's, it's a little bit of a, a two parts story. So there is a separate kind of uh, village for the officials, but uh, as soccer referees, we don't stay in that village. We stay FIFA kind of, um, has a sep- FIFA has kind of taken over a little bit the management of the Olympics from a referee standpoint. So we stay kind of in a, in a hotel that FIFA organizes. So we're a little bit apart. But yes, there typically is um, a, okay. an official's village, but uh, we're lucky enough that we get uh, a little uh, maybe luxury uh, hotel oh, that... Wow. Not the cots that everyone else is sleeping on. It's probably the figure skating, the ref, uh, judges that you have to be in another, right? Like the Russians can't be with the Russians, you know? Yeah. Go on, Jake. Um, I want to, Mark asked this question a long time ago. I, I guess you forgot because I, I, you got me thinking about this. Do you really care about what the fourth official says? Like we're moaning at the fourth official on the side. And I remember doing it at PDL games in, in the USL and in nationals and stuff and saying, tell the referee what you saw. You saw him step on his ankle and look, look at the bruise yeah. and you saw it come off. Tell him. And then, oh yeah, they placate us and they, oh yeah, yeah, we'll tell him, we'll tell him. What happens in that yeah. dressing room with that fourth We said official? it was the, what did we say? We said it was the little brother. They let tag along and they're like, yeah. you stand here, you take the use. <laughs> And at halftime, you know, is that worst job ever? Okay, first of all, worst job ever because first of all, the fourth officials getting yelled at for stuff that they don't even do, right? Yeah, in the middle of the pitch, I'm in the middle of the pitch making the decisions. 
far enough away that you can't yell at me. So you're yelling at him. And I'm, I remember one of my fourth officials was like, yeah, she totally screwed that. I, yeah, I saw it the same way as you. I saw yeah, it. And I yeah, can yeah. hear, right? Like I can hear depending. <laughs> depending. Sometimes I can hear. So, um, yeah, okay. So I'm making the decisions. They're kind of trying to defend me sometimes and sometimes throw me under the bus and when they're not pushing the button so I can't hear. Yeah. But yeah, so first of all, they provide feedback during the game sometimes, right? Like, and sometimes I even ask, like, because the view that they have is so different from the view that I have on the field. Like I get, sometimes it's hard for me to get a sense of like what the benches, what the feeling on the benches is and all that. So I ask them sometimes, sometimes they, they'll tell you, they'll give feedback on decisions that are like, that they have a good view on, right? Just like assistant referees, whether it's, they're telling me yellow, 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 or, you know, that's red or whatever. And depending on what you were complaining about, if it's something that was really valid and that I need to know about, they will bring it up to me in the, in the change room for sure. If it's just you, whining, because yeah. like, let's be honest, sometimes it's just whining and you just, that's need all to we do. Yeah. But like, I, I thought it was like, you know, she comes, the fourth official comes in late. You three are like huddled in the corner and, and she's like moaning about like, all oh, the coaches are complaining. You should really, and you're like, shut up, Shelly. <laughs> Shut up. You're no, the they're a valued of- member. Believe me, the first fourth official I ever did, there was so much stuff going on. Like there was, you know, I'm supposed to be watching the subs behind the field and then the, yeah. and oh, and then somebody scores and I'm supposed to know who scored. Like I yeah. wasn't even watching yeah. that. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But still, we're going to make fun of them forever, aren't we? And you too. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's so funny. Who was, now that you're retired, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh-oh. Who was the biggest complainer you ever refereed? Oh, say it now, please. <laughs> it, it was for sure in local soccer. Like, for sure in local soccer. Oh. But I don't remember their names, but... Um, A description. They're listening. <laughs> yes. Uh, what about um, pro? What about in no, the no, Mark? Pro- don't don't let her off the hook. I want to hear the description. Robbie this- Smith. Robbie Smith. Rob Smith. Andy Nira. <laughs> oh, Andy! I know, I know. Um, no, I think um, at the international level, I don't know if it's so much because it's not that like the complaining's not the same, right? Because either I don't speak their language, so there's a lot. But um, you know, personalities to manage that are that can be yeah. really difficult. So like. Marta can be, if, if the game's going really well, it, it can be smooth, but Marta is, get, you know, she, she expects a lot of her teammates. So sometimes just the fact that she's not getting the service she wants from her teammates, yeah. like creates, because then she's, there's frustration, right? Yeah. It creates, and, and it's, and what's really hard to manage and it's, and I guess it comes a little bit to complaining is when you're doing two different styles of teams. So like, mm-hmm. A South American style, which is like, you know, lots of footwork and, and a physical style, like a Canadian style or an Australian style or like a U.S. style, because then you have one team that always feels hard done by. Yeah. yeah. And Culture. the problem is, is finding the right balance is really tough, right? It's and yeah. well, then you're using like man management, trying to get them on your side. You're trying to find the right balance. Which fouls can I, which you know, contact, can I let go? You, you have teams that want to play. And the nice thing on the women's side is like teams want to play. They want to play hard. They want to jump up. They want to keep going. Right. There's not necessarily all of this mass confrontation and surrounding the referees. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So now we'll go into some uh, quicker rapid fire ones here. Were you ever scared for your life after a game somewhere? 
never scared for my life, but there have been times that I'm happy that we have, um, that we have security. I've been, had some things thrown at me and having the, the shields of the, uh, of the police there were, were, yeah, were, were nice to know yeah. in Central America. Yeah. Do you I think, was, say, was that in Venier? <laughs> <laughs> there is a location in Venier. I didn't love refereeing at. I can't remember where it was, but for sure okay. near, like yeah. I did a game. I will tell you, I did, uh, like it was probably, like division five, six, seven. The yeah. only game in my career I had to like to stop. And wow. it, it got scary. Like there was like karate kicks and the fans started kind of like squeezing together. Wow. Oh my and God. I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, but one positive thing I'll say is, and maybe it's, you know, the one a positive of being a girl is there's usually some, a team that's going to come protect you. So I never felt like I was in danger, but it was, it was scary. Cause I was young. Yeah. For sure. wow. yeah. Um, is there a player that you remember in the international game, pro game, that had the best handshake that shook your hand and you were like, wow, that is a great handshake? That's a great no. question. No? Handshake, no. no. But I, wow. I, I'll tell you, like, there's, there's been this change, right, as you've probably seen, like, fair play handshake, which is like this handshake. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's been some awkward handshakes where people do the <laughs> wrong thing and you're like, you feel, or you're giving them high fives and you miss their high fives. So you <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst. Idiot. I've definitely done that. And <laughs> I've definitely had a really terrible, like coin toss, a really terrible coin toss. That like, so it was, I was doing Vancouver Whitecaps against, I don't remember the other team. And it was at the old Swan Guard Stadium. Yeah. So it was like, and they did, the, they did the coin toss in the tunnel. And okay. the tunnel was like a small kind of part that went out to the field, but like a long hallway. And it was old school, right? Like cement floors and small like change rooms. So I go to do the coin toss and I flip it and I need to catch it because like we're in on, on cement and I miss it and it like bobbles off my hand and then it rolls no. <laughs> the whole length. Like, it's not like I just missed it and it landed so on Now you're chasing it. Yeah. Like, it rolled. And I actually had to send one of the teams no. to, like, go get it because I oh, was, like, it was so bad. Oh, I, I just, I'm happy that it wasn't, like, they didn't, the TV didn't get us till we were out on the field. So, yeah. like, that was my positive. Yeah. With the handshakes, though, I noticed with the refs in the beginning, I always, like, totally judged them. And you hear that... Pop. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> it's like they do it, and it's like yeah. over the top, and it's like Stallone's yeah. there. Like, yeah, that's oh, so true. Like, it's like they take pride in that handshake. It's, it's yeah. the, well, the I think pop. you don't want to screw it up because then it's like you yeah. know, it's like do people think you're gonna like? What is the perception if you can't do a handshake before? Yeah, you yeah that's right. The same as if you can't do a coin toss. I think exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Jay, I'm gonna my one coin toss. Yeah, I'm gonna commend your mic. Your Mike uh, Muffer Keen, uh, Keen is it, Jay on that uh, on that block. It was pretty didn't pop. Keep it there. Perfect. I love it. Perfect. You're appointed to referee a land fight. Who wins in this land fight? A penguin or a duck? <laughs> a duck. Those things are scary. That's what my wife said. My wife said that that matchup wasn't fair. I thought a penguin would. Hundred uh, percent. Penguins would go can't even bend over. Like all they're gonna do is like. Through. You just tip them away. over. Yeah. yeah. I screwed that one up. Like a bobblehead. Yeah. Do you think referees should have to give a press conference after the game? No. Now, I, I do you want an explanation or just say no? No, no. Well, it's okay. It's up to you. If you if I you feel go. like you 
want to no, so get I think there's a couple things. I think we need to do a better job of explaining some decisions. So particularly, I think around VAR, it's, you know, with, with the angles and things that are being, are being shown, I think we're going to have to start looking at how, what, I'm not saying you have to listen to the conversation that happens between the referee and the, the VAR, but I know that they have piloted that, for example, in the bubble tournament in the MLS, which was very well received. But I do think we have to do a better job of explaining it. So whether that's having somebody available for the commentators so that they can, yes, they, because they're trying to interpret, like they're, okay, they're interpreting the laws, never having been a referee or having like really any training. And so having somebody to say like, why this is how it is, is you know, sometimes you'll say like, oh, that should have been a red card. It's last man back. It's last man back, yeah. you know, from, which was the term we used, you know, 20, yeah. 20 years ago. And now there's all these nuances. So having somebody to explain those nuances, I think is really important. Great idea. I think it should be the referee right after the game when everybody's frustrated. I don't think so, but um, there are ways to do it, right? I know they have like pool reporters where the referee can explain a few things. So I think there's ways to do it, but we have to be better at communicating. We have to. Yeah. So in terms of your referee crew, I don't know if, if they're like appointed to you sometimes or you always travel with the same ones, but have you ever been assigned a crew and looked at the list and been like, are you kidding me? This person's doing the line with me? Yes. Yes, I have. Wow. Yeah. I oh. love that you said, I like Wasn't that. Shelly? Was it Shelly from the fourth official? Fourth official, Shelly, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Shelly, yeah. fourth official. In a game. Have you ever done kind of what we allu you alluded to earlier with the fourth official, but I guess one of the bonuses of being a ref is like, you're not in charge of like the offsides. So if someone's complaining, you'd be like, yeah, no, he called him. I don't know. Sorry. He, he's the one like pointed over there, but like, have you ever thrown a, a, an assistant under the bus? No, okay. So I have never thrown an assistant under the bus. Listen, they are God sent because like how they are managed to make those decisions is yeah beyond me. I am not an assistant referee. Even to this day, I always joke my nightmare when we were preparing for the, for the world cup was that I was going to get a VAR and have to go look at an offside decision. <laughs> like, it was like my, I was like my moment of panic. And when I was watching from home, there was a situation where it was my two like nightmares. It was an offside scenario and the referee was wearing green, which is like my least favorite of all the colors. So it was like, um, so I no, I haven't, but I've definitely had referee throw me under the bus when I was an assistant back in the day. Wow. Um, uh, I, you know, our job as a, as referees is kind of to protect our team and you want them to help you. So you don't want to, you, you don't want to throw them under the bus. Yeah. But the, isn't the interpretation like the linesman puts the, the flag up, the ref doesn't have to make that call. Correct. It, there, That's it, the it, lineman is just saying, I think it is. Correct. Do you agree with me? Kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. But I mean, you, for me to overrule the assistant needs to be a scenario where I'm more sure than they yes. are that, that they're yeah. wrong or, yeah. you know, it goes back to the goalkeeper, there's advantage, or I've seen it come off of a defender. So now it's not offside because it's been played Beautiful. by a defender, that kind of thing. Yeah. What, um, have you ever gotten in a bit, like after a game or at halftime, have you ever gotten in a huge argument with one of your uh, assistants or the fourth? Like, have you ever, like you missed that, like you, you know, like there's no arguments going on in there. No, I, because the problem, like the, the, one of the skills of a referee is to be able to kind of be able to compartmentalize things during the game. Like if I have questions about a decision, I can't let that, because if I continue thinking about it, it will impact my other decisions. So I have to be able to um, move on. Now, 
if I think that something's gone wrong in the game, like our communication is off or, or, you know, something that we planned before and how we were going to say, isn't going some, have I been firm and said like, I need you to focus or I need you to tell me like, you need to speak. You know, sometimes when people get nervous, they don't speak anymore. And they're, mm -hmm. I need you to communicate with me. I need you to do this. So have I been firm? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure if you ask my assistants, they will say the same thing that I've never <laughs> yelled at them. I yeah. hope, but yeah. Um, Oh, that just sparked the memory. Have you seen the documentary Kill the Referee? You have, eh? It, yeah. Is that not amazing? I really enjoyed that. And that just sparked it in my mind because the fourth official, was. remember at the beginning, he's like, there's a storm coming. And the guy's like, shut the hell up. What are you telling me that for? <laughs> well, there's a lot of times, right? Like the, the one issue with communication systems is like, you know, so I'm a person that's usually pretty relaxed in the game. And I can have like, some joking with my assistants, but there's times where like, if somebody's talking to me and I'm trying to talk to them and I have somebody talking to me in my ear of something that is not important. Have we had conversations where I said like, shut up, like shut up. I need people to be quiet because I'm either trying to get some information from somebody else. Like, especially if you're working with VAR, right? Because my assistants yeah. can speak, but so can the VAR. So sometimes I need to say, everybody stop talking, stop talking. And so have we I had those kinds I know of we all on. shut up. Like, I know. I was like, sorry. People, I was like, don't tell her. People in my house just stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell her Sean Connery's in the audience. Like there's, a, there's something happening here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fine. I, I just, this stuff's killing me. So here's a couple would you rathers. Would you rather know about a bad call missed in the game? Would you rather know at halftime or would you rather just know at the end of the game? I think at the end of the game, I usually would know now, nowadays I would know at halftime, but I think it's better after the game. Would you rather eat the mini Ritz crackers with the cheese whiz in it or the peanut butter? Peanut butter. Yeah, Good call. Thank you. Yeah. What, you're the cheese whiz, Jay? No, peanut butter. Cheese whiz oh, okay. is like people in Vanier. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Vanier. I love it. Would you rather spend the winter in Ottawa or in your hometown of Summerside, PEI? Oh, Lord. Ottawa, I think. Are There's the winters there brutal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you rather referee a youth soccer game with parents or no parents? I'm going to yeah. say with parents only because soccer is a little bit about atmosphere right? Like having no atmosphere. But then again, I would say um, it's really tough when you can hear every single thing that everyone says, right? I always tell young, young referees yeah. going into a local park with 50 parents is it takes more courage than walking out in a stadium with 50,000 people because I don't hear it. Does, okay. They might boo me, but it's not, it's not personal. I don't hear yeah. comments about myself. Parents, I, you hear every comment. Why? Like I, my sister sat beside, I did a Vancouver Whitecaps game. My sister sat beside a father with a young daughter saying like, I don't know why there's a woman referee. Like wow. hearing that kind of stuff, hearing, you know, parents call me a chick or uh, something oh. like that is much more personal. Yeah. And um, so it's harder. So it's a little bit, I'm mean, a little bit of a toss up, but I think soccer is about atmosphere. So you got to have a little bit of a. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the end of my uh, my dumb questions there at the end, but I wanted to be uh, serious for a quick sec and just um, thank you for coming on. Um, like I mentioned previously, the culture in soccer has to change. 
Um, that's something I want a lot of people to take out of this podcast, whoever, you know, parents or kids or anything that the culture has to change. And you uh, mentioned it in the podcast is we may have lost a Caroline Chenard, the, one of the best referees in Canadian history because of this culture. So we need to get rid of that. And we need to find that common ground between coaches and referees and players and referees. There needs to be some sort of, of, of uh, you know anything to agree with each other to develop and 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 fix this horrible culture in the game. So, thank you. You're a, a Canadian legend and and hero. And I'm glad that you know we kind of had this chance because there's always the players, right? The players are coaches in Canadian soccer that get all these uh, accolades and and uh, podcast interviews. But we wanted to make sure to honor an important pillar of the game, one of the four pillars, right? It, without referees, there's no game. So. Yeah. I want this to reach as many people as possible because you are a Canadian legend and we appreciate everything you did. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah. yeah and I'm gonna, let me, sorry, let me go ahead, Steve. Yeah, but just don't forget we have a it. quiz. Yeah. I'm going to go real quick. I just want to say two things. I agree with Mark. I think that what I take out of this is there's a lot, there was so much good stuff. I hope people learn from referee wise and sitting on the hot seat for Jason's questions that a lot of people definitely wanted answered. And, uh, and it was good. He, and you, you answered them. Uh, I would say second, we're lucky. Uh, like you've just recently retired. So it's almost like we planned this and we never did. Like we got you fresh off that, I guess. Congratulations for retiring. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to say. Like <laughs> I, I'm going to retire from the government and people will say congratulations, but I don't know if you're happy about it or not. Um, but I would take what I'm going to take out of this as well as uh, just, I got a lot of leadership off of you and that is a, a way to be successful in any position in any of the pillars in anything in life. And, and that, it radiated off you for me. And uh, a lot of what you said, I'll take back as a coach for coaching as well. So I just, I just wanted to pass that on. That's something I learned. Thank you. You made me like refs a bit more. <laughs> Great. Yes, <laughs> you know what? You don't have I, I many fans. No, no. Like I, I, I remember watching you on TV and I like these guys know, and people who know me know, like I'm, I just have a chip on my shoulder about them, but but you, when I watched you, I was like, there's no denying. It was like Joe Fletcher. He was quality, your quality. And I, that's what I want. And I'll do anything to, to try and help perpetuate that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think, I hope you're staying in the game and staying involved in coaching refs cause, and mentoring them, yeah. close beside them, especially at the youth level. And that would be, I, I really hope you do that because you're just too valuable not to do that. Good point, Jay. That's yeah. the plan, hopefully. Yeah. That's nice. Awesome. So we're going to hit a quick quiz before we let you go. Okay. okay. I'm going to go in this order, Steve, Jason, and then Caroline okay. in the men's game. Okay. In the men's history of the world cup, what country has been issued the most red cards? Oh, okay. I should have known. Steve. In the history of the men's world cup. What country yeah. has been issued the most red card as a, Red cards, not yellow. I'm buying myself time. Uh, yeah, no, you got three seconds. <laughs> England. Yay. Um, I'm going to say... Okay, but... Any one of the... Any, any, one, of, any one of the countries in Yugoslavia. All right, any I'll give you that. Caroline. Italy. Wow. Italy, ooh. The answer is, you know what? It's funny. The answer is almost the flag behind behind Jay. I don't know what that is, but Argentina. It's, 
Argentina. I was going to say that. was I? I was going to say South American. I should have done it. Yeah. That is, they've, been issued, they've been issued 10 red cards in, in the history of the World Cup. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So anyway, that's that. And uh, yeah, again, we appreciate it so much. And uh, can you want to plug those uh, wall claws? Man, those are amazing. Yeah, like, maybe yeah, we can no, get them to sponsor the show. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to uh, display your memorabilia. You know, I yeah. always, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you have. If you don't, you have to display it. Otherwise, it just sits in a box. And um, I mean, you do have to dust them, but uh, it is, uh, <laughs> it's, I think you got to this is my ode to Carol Ann's career room. So there's stuff in here. That <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you deserve it. So, well, again, thank you. Thanks very much for listening today if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and of course leave us a five-star review if you want to get in touch you'll find us on instagram at soccer snob one on twitter at soccer snobs one by searching for us on facebook and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen you can leave us your opinion give us any comments and if that's where you want to get nasty feel free to do so <laughs>